When I was in college, I worked at this summer camp for a few summers, a few too many summers, and uh, over time, I worked my way up the ranks. And by my third summer, I had gotten to this position of programs director, really fancy title for my entire job was just to have fun, be loud, and be hyped all day, every day. Every single moment of every day, my job was to be the hype man. I was a professional hype man for a full summer. It was the best job ever. Some of you in your summers, you crunch numbers. I throw parties and things like that. And so that's what I was doing. And there's some perks to that, to that job of programs director. And some of the perks were, you know, I got to do skits, I got to be funny, I got to yell all the time. It was ridiculous, so fun. But one of the perks was I started to accumulate incredible clothing and accessories uh, to my wardrobe. It was amazing. And uh, for example, I had this, this Highland Park penny. I don't know why, but I thought that was really cool. Uh, even though I peaked in basketball in eighth grade, I still wore basketball jerseys and pennies. And, uh, and, and so that was kind of an everyday thing. And I, I was even handed uh, one day somebody gave me these shoes. And I loved these shoes dearly. They were these Adidas. You've never seen anything like them. They had polka dots on them. In fact, here's a picture of them. This is me at camp. Yeah, these are the shoes. They're polka dotted. I don't know if you can see them in the back. Uh, they had polka dots. You've never seen anything like them. It's like twister on a shoe. And I'm a shoe guy, so this is like my love language that somebody would give me this. This is amazing, this gift. And so I wore them every day. Everywhere I went, I, I would wear these shoes. And, uh, and in fact, one of the other things that I got was this shirt. And I don't know if you guys can see this in the back, but this is one of my favorite shirts. And the reason why it's one of my favorite shirts is because this shirt looks like it's from McDonald's in the late 80s. I don't know if you front row people can see it right there. There's McDonald's emblem. That's what I was given. And these stripes. I mean, you can't find these stripes anymore. These are amazing. Okay? And so I was working at camp. I was given all these things. And uh, uh, while I was working there, there was this guy who I didn't really get along with. And I was on leadership. He was a counselor. And uh, for whatever reason, he just had beef with me. And I'm not going to try to be above it. I had beef with him. We just did not get along well. I, I mean, can you imagine somebody that did, couldn't get along with me? I mean, I just, it didn't make sense. And um, so we're going about life. And one day, his, uh, his last day of being a counselor, he's about to leave. All of my stuff disappears. And, uh, you know, at, at camp, there's a certain level where they're like pranking is somewhat okay. And I also have pranked. And so I am in no place to talk. But uh, all of my stuff was gone. And I knew the immediate person to go to. So, and, and instead of really just going to him, I first went to uh, this box that had everyone's keys in it. And I, I grabbed his keys and I held on to them, knowing that he can't leave until I have my stuff back. And so I'm holding on to his keys and I walk up to him and I go, hey bro, my stuff's gone. And he's like, I know. And I was like, okay, are you admitting that you have my stuff? He's like, yeah, I, I took your stuff. I was like, okay, no surprise there. Um, tension. So, uh, I'm holding his keys and I'm saying, hey, bro, I'm not going to let you leave until you tell me where my stuff is. And he's like, okay, your stuff is at the bottom. Uh, at the camp I work at, there's two levels, bottom, very far away. He's, it's this bottom, this bottom level in this shed, this particular shed. Everyone knows this shed. That's where your stuff is. And I, I didn't have the luxury of going to check it. And I said, okay, bro, you promise that's where my stuff is. He's like, I promise you, bro. That's where your stuff is. And I was like, okay, let's just do this one more time. You promise. Obviously, there was some tension. I didn't trust him very much. Is that where my stuff is? He said, I promise that's where your stuff is. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you your keys back so you can leave and you can go home. So I give him his keys. And uh, as time goes on, I go down to the shed. Not, not immediately because I had a job. Uh, I hype all the time. So I, I was doing things, and finally I get to, that, I get to the bottom, I get to the shed, and, and none of my stuff is there. And I actually, I actually kind of figured it out on the way to the shed that as we were driving through camp, some of my stuff was on top of roofs, and some of my stuff was, was in trees. And, and all of my stuff was, was scattered across this camp in the Ozark Mountains in Missouri. And as I'm seeing my stuff, I'm, I'm growing in frustration. And, and, and I'm growing in frustration, and, and truly, I never got all of my stuff back. 
those twister shoes to this day. I have no idea where they are in the, in the mountains in Missouri. I never found them because I had a job and I couldn't find all my stuff. And, and this story is so, uh, it's, this, it's this weird thing to me because I, I look back and I think of this moment where I said, bro, if you just tell me, if you promise me that my stuff is there, then I'll forgive you. That would be prank status. That would be okay. But if I give you these keys and you are lying to my face, then it will no longer be forgiven. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm gathering all my stuff. I'm going to all these different places. And finally, I, I, come, to my, I, I come to my office. I get, get my mail out of my mailbox, and there's this note. And I'm thinking, great. He left me a note asking for forgiveness. Great. It said this. Trust no one. Sincerely, I was livid. I could have killed him. If he was there, I would have been like, all right, somebody hold me back. I'm going to have to pay back for whatever that means. I'm gonna, you know, it's a Christian camp, but I, it doesn't matter. At this point, justice must be served right now in this moment. I went directly to the directors. I said, hey, this happened to me. He will never return. Let's, let's make sure he doesn't get paid. If I could do it, I was going to, I was, let's cut the ties. He's never going to come back and he's not going to get paid for his time here. There's going to be retribution. There's going to be revenge. Give me his address. I'm going to send something in the mail that looks like it might be anthrax. It's just going to be sugar and everyone's going to freak out. We're going to, there's going to be revenge. This is beyond, this is beyond prank. This has become hate crime. This is, this has gone over the ledge. And the reason why I tell you that tonight is because there was this moment where if he had just said, this is where your stuff is, I would have been like, bro, you're forgiven. Thank you for telling me where my stuff is. But that wasn't the way it was written. And oftentimes when it comes to forgiveness, uh, there's this thing where we're like, yeah, forgiveness exists. We know it exists. We know how forgiveness works. But most of us, we wouldn't say this, but most of us operate under the guise that forgiveness has a limit right? Like you're with me probably right now. You're like, yeah, what's this dude's name? I'll Facebook stalk him. Let's like send him some hate DMs or something, right? I don't know. But in the end, like he crossed the line, right? He doesn't deserve forgiveness. What I've learned from that experience is that I actually oftentimes think forgiveness has a limit. And I think Jesus speaks directly to us in Matthew 18 about forgiveness. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to open up to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 through 20 is this portion about what it looks like to live as a Christian in Christian community. And Matthew 18 is, is famous for, uh, you know, how to, how to resolve conflict with others. You know, go, with, go to one person, go with two Uh, bring conflict, uh, how to handle conflict, and just after this how to handle conflict portion of scripture in Matthew 18, we get to verse 21, and Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. And Peter says, if, if we're learning what it looks like to live as a Christian in the kingdom of heaven, Peter asks Jesus this question. If you'll turn in your Bibles, look at the screen. On verse 21, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So let's just stop right here. This is the point of tonight. Cat's out of the bag. Forgiveness has no limits. Peter comes up and he's saying, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody that faults me over and over and over again? And in fact, what you need to know, in Amos 1, there's this Jewish tradition, and rabbis would have said that in order to forgive somebody, you have to forgive somebody up to three times. So what Peter is saying is incredibly gracious. He's like, hey, the Jewish tradition is three. Let's double it and put a cherry on top, right? Like, we're super good. Is that how many times we're supposed to forgive people? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Seven times. Seven times. And in the Greek, there's this, uh, there's kind of this uh, translation question here. We're not exactly sure if this is saying 70 times 7, 
or 77 times. So whether it's 77 or 490, who cares? Every scholar would agree. The point that Jesus is making is that there is no limits to forgiveness. There is no limits to forgiveness. So we're going to see tonight, first some bad news, then some good news, and then we're going to see how forgiveness has no limits. We're going to see that our, our debt is impossible to repay. Our debt has been forgiven, and our forgiveness has no limits. What Jesus is about to do in verse 23 is he's about to tell a parable, which is a story to illustrate the point he just made. Jesus, is, Jesus just said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he illustrates it, illustrates it with this story, starting in verse 20, 23. If you'll join with me. Illustrates it like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the counts, settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. What you need to know uh, about this, this, this portion, we're going to stop right there, 23 to 25. There's this king who's making the servants pay up. It's time to pay back your loans, pay back your debts. And, and there's this man who is indebted 10,000 talents. If you're with us a few weeks ago, you were like, we talked about talents. How much is that again? I don't expect you to remember. I can hardly remember two weeks ago. So 10,000 talents. What you need to know about this, maybe make note of this. 10,000 is the largest Greek numeral. So that's interesting note. The largest Greek numeral. So it's the, the largest number possible it, it, that they could say that this guy could owe that could be described in the Greek. 10,000. And then talents. Talent is the largest amount of money or a largest sum of money. It'd be like year's wages. So it, a, a dollar is a small amount. Obviously cents are small, dollars are bigger. It'd be like 10,000 salaries. That's what it's like, and it actually, the numerical number is anywhere between $6 billion in debt that this dude owes his master, anywhere between $6 billion and like, really the idea is zillions. This dude cannot pay back the debt that he owes the master, and the master is settling accounts, and he's saying, you have to give me, you have to sell his wife, sell his children, sell all that you have. So that payment can be made, which brings us to our first point tonight. Our first point tonight is that our debt is impossible to repay. Our debt is impossible to repay. We are, are this servant who is largely, we are largely indebted to a master. We're largely indebted to the Father. You might ask the question, uh, to our debt is impossible to repay. You might say, what is debt? I'm not a business major like you were, Dale. And I'm, listen, I was not a good business major. Finance twice. So I, let me help you understand what debt is. In this context, debt represents the amount by which we have missed the mark. And just so you know, uh, sin is this term that a lot of us have heard for a long time. Sin is numb to us. We kind of shrug our shoulders like, sin, great, yeah, okay. Give me something, you know, give me some, something to convict me so I can leave here. No, no, sin, sin is missing the mark. God's design was perfection from each and every one of us. And debt is the way that we have missed the mark. And debt is actually, the, the, the reason why debt is so big is because we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is debt, is death. What you earn because of sin in our lives, what each of us incur, golly, I need to quit using business terms, uh, what each of us uh, get because of sin is death. So debt is, in this context, what, what this servant owes the master is immeasurable. And our sin, what we owe the father, because of our sin, it's impossible for us to repay God the father. It's impossible. All of our good ever cannot earn us that $10,000, or excuse me, 10,000 talent payment back. It's impossible for our, 
our debt to be repaid. But here's the problem. Sin, as I said, is, is numb to us, and we don't understand how much we actually sin. We don't actually think our sin deserves death, for one, but most of us don't actually understand how much we go about sinning each and every day. So I just want to talk about sin for a moment. When we think of sin, we often think of like murder and adultery and pornography and insecurity and idolatry and all these different things. Those things are sinful, yes. But what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is it's not just do not murder. It's if you are angry with another person, then you are liable to judgment. That is sin. It's not just sleeping with somebody that you're not supposed to sleep with. Or any sort of sexual sin. It's actually, if you even look at somebody with lustful intent, that is liable of judgment. That is sin. You have already committed adultery within your heart. And that is just as much a sin as acting on the thought. And so I I would venture to say that all of us here tonight have sinned since we've been here. Truly, you've probably looked around and and seen somebody wearing a cool shirt and thought, man, I love that shirt, right? You've coveted this shirt. I wasn't planning to say that. Or somebody else's shirt. I don't know who you were coveting. Or maybe you saw somebody that that is dating somebody else and you're like, man, they they got the dude. I just wish I could have the dude. Like she's got the dude. Or maybe, maybe you were worshiping and you're like, I hope the person next to me sees that my hands are like up in the air. And let me just tell you, you laugh. That's practicing your righteousness before men. It's a sin. Check the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm the chief of sinners. I was sitting over in the corner and I was anxious because nobody was sitting next to me. And I was so worried about y'all's approval that I was like, hey, will somebody come sit next to me? Like, what in the world? Since I've been here, I sinned. And I'm supposed to get in front of you and say, our sin is a debt, and it's impossible for us to repay. I want us to understand that the wages of sin is death. Because of some of the things we've thought and maybe even done in this time, we have incurred the penalty of death, which is really, really sad news. Much like us, there's this man named Jerome Curville. Here's a picture of him. Looks like he's from a movie. This man is the most indebted man in the world. He owes a French bank $6 billion. I don't know how you can fraudulently loan, lend, steal. I don't know how you get to $6 billion. But in 2012, The Atlantic wrote an article about this guy. And in this article, there's a unique correlation between uh, our debt being impossible to repay. And I'd love to read this quote from The Atlantic about this man. It's on the screen as well. It says this, well, he's obviously not going to be able to pay the fine. (laughs) Six billion bucks, good luck. What happened to Kerbeil, wherever you say his French name, is the French equivalent of sentencing someone to life plus 100 extra years. Garnishing is usually what they do in cases like this. I'll explain what garnishing is. There's this fine, and then there will be a structured settlement. They'll likely reach some kind of agreement where a significant percentage of any money he makes for the rest of his life will be paid into a fund to cover the fine. Much like Jerome, Jeremy, I took French and I don't know how to say his name. This man is indebted greatly and he cannot ever repay the debt that he owes, the debt that he stole, the money that he laundered. Illegally invested. Similarly to the servant and to each and every one of us, our debt is impossible to repay. That's the bad news. There's some good news. Let's keep reading. In Jesus' parable, let's get to the good news ASAP. So the servant fell on his knees, verse 26, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything which is a joke because we all know he can't pay everything back. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the servant is trying to convince the king. He's like, hey, 
please forgive me. And he drops to his knees and he's just begging for mercy. He's saying, 10,000 talents, please let me, let me repay you over time. It's impossible. But the master, the king, is gracious to the servant. And he, he doesn't just say, hey, yeah, I, I, I won't make you sell everything and, and I won't just sell you off. I won't make you repay me over time. I'm just going to cancel the debt. You don't have to pay me back at all. The master takes pity on him. He doesn't say you can repay me. He just says, hey, you're free. Which brings us to the good news, which is our second point tonight, that our debt has been forgiven. Our debt has been forgiven. Whenever you're reading your Bible, just Bible tips, uh, this is a total side note, verses 26 and 27 are really giving us a glimpse of God's character. Jesus is telling a story. This master is, is, is equivalent to the father, and Jesus tells us later in the parable that it's like the father. This master is Father God to us. And what this shows us about God's character is that he's forgiving. And not just that he's He's a forgiving God, but he's a really, really forgiving God. He's not just kind of gracious. He's not just gracious up to a certain point. And then if we go past that point, he's no longer going to forgive us. No, no, no. God's grace is not limited. Our debt has been forgiven. That's what this parable is illustrating. That our debt has been forgiven, and it's because of God's character So as you're reading your Bible, be looking for places that show us God's character. This is such a sweet picture that the king is immeasurably gracious. And there's no limit to his his grace for us. So much so, the father's uh, grace was so unlimited that he ended up sending Jesus, his one and only son, on our behalf. God's grace. God's forgiveness has no limits. And this forgiveness was costly. He gave up 10,000 talents, $12 billion. What he really gave up was something that can't be measured. He, what the Father gave up on our behalf so that our debt can be forgiven, the Father gave Jesus. Why? Because he loves us. This is good news. This is the gospel. That although our debt was impossible to repay, and we deserve death, there is a master who has taken our debt and has fully forgiven us. I love to illustrate this in this way. My freshman year of college, actually two days ago, and then go back to my freshman year, I got a speeding ticket uh, I've told you about this speeding ticket before. Um, I was in Houston on 290, um, and I was coming down a hill, and I thought, you know, I know better than to speed down hills. That's just free advice. Don't speed down hills or around curves. And I'm coming down the hill, and I'm going fast, and I pass the police car, and I just start pulling over, and he clocked me at, at 112 and a 65, and... Uh, <laughs> wasn't funny. wasn't funny. His first question was, had I ever been to jail? Fun fact, I've never been to jail. Uh, so I told him, no, sir, I've never been to jail. He said, are you in an emergency? I said, no, sir, kind of wish I was in an emergency, just trying to get home. He said, are you under the influence of any drugs or alcohol? I was like, nope, sober as can be. And he said, then why in the world are you going 112 and a 65? And I didn't really have an answer for him. And, uh, you know, in in those moments, you kind of think there's no way that they're going to put 112 and a 65 on the ticket. You're like, surely he's going to bump it down to like 25 over. And, you know, no, he wrote it. It was fully 112 and a 65, which means that. Um, it's very challenging to get it off your record. It's also uh, pretty expensive, just side note. And um, 
So this happened, and, and so this is my freshman year of college. I'm like, wow, I, I think I could lose my license. I thought he was going to take me to jail. I kind of thought I deserved to go to jail. You know, going that speed really is not safe. I'm, I'm not trying to be your parent. Like, sincerely, it's stupid. And, uh, and so I didn't really think I deserved grace. I was like, I deserve the ticket. It's fine. I, like, give it to me. I, I should pay it all off. And over time, uh, I went to court, and I just said, hey, I have never gotten a ticket before. This is my first ticket. And I was like, I, I'm so sorry. I, I just would love it off my record. And the judge said, okay. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, just pay the fine, and we'll take it off your record. I was like, okay. I it, didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't think that I deserved the grace. And I ended up coming home to Waco, Penland, Dirty Third, 301, open up my door, go to my desk, envelope, all cash with the exact number and exact amount that I owed on the ticket. So it had been paid in full and it had been taken off my record. And it moved me. I cried because I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't think I deserved it. But the reason why I tell you that story is because that's our lives. The debt has been paid for, undeserved. The record has been cleaned. Whatever it is that you're most ashamed of, think about it for a moment. have been offered full forgiveness. You are white as snow because of the grace of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And and the gospel isn't as sweet if we don't realize that we deserve death. That our sin deserves death. That when we miss the mark of God's design, when we covet, when we do these things, we deserve death. But God, thankfully, came in and paid our debt in full. Our debt has been forgiven. But it didn't come at a small cost. Forgiveness, it never comes at a small cost, actually. But thankfully, God's forgiveness has no limits for all of us in this room tonight. For all of us in this room, we have the invitation to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. What's he saving us from? We use the word Savior. Saving us from the very sin that we deserve death for. Somebody had to die. He did it on our behalf. So the first thing that we saw was that our debt is impossible to repay. We're going to push through. Our debt's impossible to repay. And our debt has been forgiven. Let's keep reading in the story in verse 28. It says this. But when the same servant came out, the servant that had been forgiven, he came out of the presence of the king and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I call him dinar. Side note, when I was in Jordan, everyone came up to me like, one dinar. They'd sell me things. They'd be like, one dinar. So denarii, I don't, dinar. Anyways, let's move on. That's done. Thank you. I made a joke about that was going to happen tonight, too. Anyways, nobody was there for that. Anyways, 100 dinar. We're continuing on, on the screen. And seizing him. Let's just, everyone chill for a moment. The servant was forgiven. He left the presence of the king. And he found a servant who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. This is weird. He's saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, very similarly to what he had done with the king. He says, have patience with me, and I will repay you. He falls on his knees, and and this, this servant that had just been forgiven, it says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is crazy. When his, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They were confused. And they went and they reported to the master 
all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him back in. Uh Uh-oh, you know he's in trouble. And said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Should you not have forgiven him just as I had forgiven you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Which, newsflash, remember, he can't repay it. It's too big. But 35, let's finish this. It says this, so also, Jesus is saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this servant who's been forgiven billions, 10,000 talents, leaves the presence of the king and chokes a dude for 100 dinar, denarii, same thing. And that, that's about 100 days wages compared to $12 billion. You can see why the master and even fellow servants are confused. This doesn't make sense. So the master brings him back and punishes him. And then Jesus says something that's actually incredibly scary. Verse 25, let's look at it again. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What we see here is that a lack of forgiveness from those who have been forgiven is confusing to a watching world. If we are not forgiving people, that's confusing. If our forgiveness has a limit, like mine did for that guy that pranked me, if my forgiveness has a limit, that doesn't add up because of what has been done on my behalf. Because God's love has no limits, our love and our life is meant to I messed that up. Because God's forgiveness has no limits, our forgiveness is meant to have no limits. So our third point is this, that our forgiveness has no limits. This is very practical. This is very practical for each and every one of us, I think, because uh, we have a tendency to hold grudges. Um, when I was at Baylor, I, I would hold grudges for the smallest of things. If somebody took my seat in my class one day, I'd be like, that guy is a jerk. I'm never going to look at him again. Every time I see him, I'm going to tell my friend, hey, that's the jerk that took my seat. And it's funny, you can laugh, but I mean, we have a tendency to hold grudges. We have a tendency to have beef with people. I remember intramural fields, we'd be, in, we'd be competing. Some dude would cross me the wrong way, say something to me, and I'd be like, I hate you forever. I wouldn't say that, but I would think that, like, that guy's a jerk. I'd hold a grudge. I'd have beef with them. What this is saying is that Christians can't have beef with one another. We're not meant to have beef. We're we're, we're meant to be freely forgiving of everyone around us. What that means is that if somebody cuts you off, you're supposed to bless them, not give them the bird, right? That's what it means. And you might be thinking like I was when I was thinking through this. That doesn't even make sense. That's absolutely crazy. What do you mean? My forgiveness is not meant to have a limit? Wait, wait, wait. Let's take a step back. Our forgiveness has no limits because God's forgiveness of all of us for the sin and death that we deserve, that forgiveness has no limits. That's good news. And that's the gospel. And this is hard though. It's hard to live out. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The quote is on the screen. He says this. This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand that we've been freely forgiven. 
by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each and every night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions and God means what he says. That scary verse in verse 35, what it's saying is that if we aren't forgiving to others, then we don't rightfully understand God's forgiveness in our lives. And as C.S. Lewis puts it, there's no hint of exceptions and God means what he says. So what? Matthew 5 says that we need to do something about this. And in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, it says that it, if, if there's something that you have against a brother, before you even go to the altar, go and make amends. Go and be reconciled. Leave your gift there at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Before you do anything, do business. Be reconciled, forgive, ask for forgiveness. Why? Because we've been freely forgiven. And so tonight, there's one application. I'm going to give you a bunch of questions that you might want to ask yourself as you're leaving here. But the first, the first and only application that I'm going to clearly give you is this. Tonight, we need to leave here and take a first step. We need to take a step towards forgiveness. For somebody in here tonight, it might mean having that awkward walk across the room to the person that you've gossiped about, and you need to say, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me for the way that I have mistreated you and talked badly about you? Sincerely, that could happen tonight. My prayer is that it will. That's the first step for somebody. and, and For others... As we ask these questions, uh, the first step, uh, these might help you figure out what your first step is. First question, do I know God's forgiveness through Jesus? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? Do I know that I've been fully forgiven? That, that might be the first step. It might be, be understanding God's grace and love and forgiveness in our lives and how that changes us. That might be salvation for somebody tonight. That might be the first step of faith. Another question we could ask is, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Somebody that's wronged you. And you need to figure out what the first step in that process is of if somebody, if you need to forgive somebody. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to ask for forgiveness from. You need to prayerfully consider what is the first step if you need to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness that you've wronged. Here's the deal. The gossip one I actually, I would actually venture to say, you might think that's awkward or uncomfortable and maybe a little bit uh, radical. I, I don't think that's radical at all. I actually think that's the easy part of this. The grudges, the little things. You see, I, there's a, a large group of people in this room who have deeply been hurt. So forgiveness is unfathomable. So when I say, what is the first step? Maybe the first step for you is simply going to counseling. Or maybe for the first time, praying to the Lord, Lord, what do I do about the way that that person was absent from my life and completely left me? What's the first step? whether it be somebody that was absent, whether it be somebody that was abusive, the application tonight is prayerfully considering what the first step of obedience is in forgiveness. For somebody tonight, it's letting your community in on what's been done to you. You need to let people in. You don't need to continue to bottle it up. You need to prayerfully consider what does it look like to be free and, and, and forgive the people that have wronged me. And let me just be honest, in my life, the family stuff, it, it's the, the absence of family and, and the, the fact that they say that they love me, and, but they're not, even, they're not even present. Like, 
Okay, every time I see you, you tell me you love me, but you didn't even, I didn't even see you over Easter. We were both in Houston. Okay, Dad. I don't know about love, but you didn't even call. And honestly, uh, that's something I had to work through where I had to forgive him. But just because I forgave him doesn't mean that we're necessarily best friends anymore. I was back home for Easter and I didn't go see him. I don't feel guilty about that. But, but the first step over time, first I had to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What am I holding against him? And over time, what I realized is I was holding a lot against him and I just didn't even understand it. And, and really, who helped me process that, the minister was a counselor. Counseling. I had to tell somebody, I was like, I got to spill my guts. You got to help me understand what's going on. The first step might be getting out of a relationship and, and running and getting away. Going to counseling, letting your community in, whatever that first step of forgiveness is, whatever that first step of obedience is. That's a lot of things. That's the really heavy stuff. But I think there's also a a really practical set of things that that I want to unpack for us really briefly as as we finish up tonight. Some of us need to forgive the church. Some of you have beef with the church. That's why you're at vertical, okay? Let's just be honest. Some of us have beef with, uh, you know, your friend's ex-boyfriend. Some of us have beef with, as I said earlier, some of the people that we compete against. Uh, some of us have beef with uh, the, um, the person that stole your girl. That was like something in college, like if somebody stole somebody else's girl, you're never going to forgive them. Some of us need to deal with the, the people that give those passive-aggressive comments of like, man, I didn't, really, I didn't even realize you were that good at that. And you're like, I get it. You think I'm the worst. You think I'm nothing. And, and you, won't, you won't forgive them of it. It's the little things. Forgive the dude that was over-competitive. Forgive the roommate that never does the dishes. And maybe have a conversation about how they never do the dishes, right? You might actually get somewhere. (laughs) But let's just be honest, like the roomy one, I love that one. Let's talk about it just for a moment as we finish up tonight. Like, we all have that roommate that like, you're like, I will, I cannot believe that they just put that dish in there and they did not wash it. Can you believe that? And then a week later, it's still there. All the roomies are in on it. We're like, we're going to see if this dish ever gets washed. This is, a, this is a test. This is a scientific test. Will they ever wash the dish? I don't know. Probably not. I never did. So anyways, <laughs> here's the deal. Hey, seriously, we can joke all night, but, but the reality is some of us really are holding grudges in the smallest of ways. And what we're missing out on is, is the fact and the reality that as believers, we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Which means we're supposed to be reconciling, uh, like restoring relationships everywhere we go. We should be the most forgiving people in the world. Jesus said something radical. Something, if somebody takes your cloak, give them, give them something else. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, give them your other cheek. Like, what? Yes, that's what we're called to live. That's the way we're called to live. You keep doing the dishes for your roommate. Maybe you also have a conversation. You say, hey, I've been holding this against you for the last uh, six months. And it's driving me absolutely nuts. It's the reason why our friendship has gone down the drain. We can't have honest communication or conversation. You're laughing, but it's real. And then what you might even understand and what you might help them understand is you might help them understand something that they need to do differently or live differently because of. That conversation, we we need to constantly be asking for forgiveness and being forgiven. I had to ask for forgiveness to our volunteers tonight because I'm challenging them with something and then I realize, wait, this is the first time I've ever said this. Why am I mad that we're not doing this when I've never even said it myself or I'm not doing it myself? We need to constantly be using and saying the words, will you forgive me? 
in our conversations. When we, when we are lying about a story, making it over dramatic to try to make it cooler, you stop, you say, hold up, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? I just lied, that, that was a little bit of an extension, that was a little bit uh, over dramatic. That was, that was probably more of a lie than even just dramatic. That's the way we should constantly be living. We should be the most forgiving people on the world, in the world. Because God has so graciously forgiven each and every one of us. And the world is watching. I believe that the world is watching. And it looks so different than what culture says. Culture is give and take. Somebody wrongs you, you wrong them back. Somebody pranks you, you prank them back. Somebody steals all your clothes, you make sure they don't get paid. You make sure that they, that they never work there again. You, 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 you have the right to revenge, right? No. No, no, no. So the pebble. We've been in this silly series about pebbles. The pebble is this. Does our forgiveness have limits? Does our forgiveness have limits? But before that, God's forgiveness has no limits. Therefore, our forgiveness should have no limits. If you take nothing away tonight other than this, it's that God's forgiveness has no limits. And his grace is enough for every single one of you here tonight. If you, if you, miss, any, if you, if you miss everything else, just don't miss. God loves you and God has fully forgiven you. And because of that good news, because of the gospel, we are the most forgiving people in the world. As we go about our days, may we re- be reminded as this pebble is in our shoe, as this pebble is in our pocket. If you don't have a pebble, pick one up at the back as you leave. We're putting our pebbles in our shoes or in our pockets so that we can be reminded that we're meant to be forgivers. We're meant to be ministers of reconciliation. Or maybe tonight you need to go pick up a bunch of pebbles and be reminded and and be praying through each pebble of like, hey, this person has wronged me in this way or this is a person I need to be asking for forgiveness for. And you're going to put those in your pockets until the day that you get to throw that pebble away because you have walked in obedience, wrestled with the Lord in a way that you have freely forgiven. So that's the takeaway. That's the pebble. The greatest example I have seen of this recently was in 2015. Charleston, South Carolina, there's a young man by the name of Dylan Roof who walked into a church, sat in on Bible study, and proceeded to shoot nine African Americans, hoping to start a race war. I'll never forget the live TV of the courtroom. There was this moment where Dylan Roof was, there's this video camera, he's in solitary confinement, there's a high security, and the families of the victims are speaking to him. They had the opportunity to say something to him. And I'll never forget CNN, Fox, Washington Post, New York Times, all over the world, the world, and even myself, I was shocked at their response. They said, This is hard. You took something from me. I'm hurting. But I forgive you. This is so hard. In tears, she, the, the mom, the mother is weeping. She's saying, I will never see her again. But I forgive you. God forgives you. And may God bless your soul. That's what she said. I forgive you. God forgives you. And I'm praying that God would bless your soul. Are you kidding me? The world is watching. That's an incredible response. That's out of our minds. I don't think I would have responded that way. I would have said, let me at him. I'll kill him. If he killed my brother. But I said, no, it's hard. And this hurts and I'll never see them again. But I forgive you. I will never forget them saying that and realizing that 
is how Christians are called to live. The only reason those people could forgive them was because they knew rightly God's forgiveness because of the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. In closing, Christ's forgiveness can change the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for forgiving us truly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that we can't work for our salvation. Our debt is impossible for us to repay. We can't, none of our good can ever earn it. Lord, thank you for the free gift in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you would help us to understand your forgiveness and how it has no limits. So for those that have guilt and shame from the sin of this week and this semester and this year or all of college, Lord, help us to know that you have freely forgiven us. Lord, help me to understand the fullness of your forgiveness, that your forgiveness has no limits. Father, make that clear in our lives. Help us to understand that good news. And Jesus, I ask, I beg that you would help us to be freely forgiving to the watching world. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation because of the way that you have reconciled us to the Father. So Lord, help us. Help us to take the first step of obedience. Whether that's letting someone in or whether that's walking across this room and saying, I am sorry, will you forgive me? Lord, I ask that you would move in this time. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name.